What's up, everybody? And welcome to episode one on Peeling the Banana with your host, Brilliant Amadova, which means it's showtime. Hey, uh, that was pretty smooth. And uh, my co-host for the day is Henry Markin, and he's going to help me uh, with this whole show on, on the first, on my first launch of this whole thing of peeling the banana and basically unraveling life, unraveling professional sports, Savannah bananas, uh, emotional health, mental health, and everything in between. And so uh, it's my pleasure, Henry. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me on and allowing me to allow me to do this with you. I know there's uh, obviously a lot to unravel with you, and I'm, I'm happy I get to get to kickstart this journey with you. Um, I know you're going to do great things, you know, just uh, the whole whole one tee off with you is uh, just as bad as all I need, man. Let's do it. Yeah, right. I mean, thank you to Eric Burns and this no filter platform. I mean, I'm just uh, something I've been dreaming about for a while and uh, just something to express myself, but also express the stories of others. Yeah, of course. And it sounds like you have a very specific niche that I think honestly needs more light. Just the world of uh, collegiate athletes that are in that semi-pro to uh, almost professional realm. I mean, you hear about everyone that follows their dreams and makes it to the big leagues, you know, the NFL, NBA, MLB, and likewise, but there's hundreds of thousands, millions of people that are in that, all, I almost made it. And that, that realm of uh, AAA baseball or, or club sports, and, yeah. and they have lives too. And, and that often, I think that often gets overlooked and, and doesn't get enough attention. And there's some really cool and awesome and organic stories and experiences that come from that. And, and you, my man, I, I think, I think you have a one of a kind <laughs> tale, many, many ups and, and some downs in there, but that's kind of life. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy you're opening up a forum to talk about it. I mean, I don't know anyone that really goes through professional baseball 12 years, going to be 13 next year and has never made it to the big leagues or even made it to double A. And it's just been a total grind. Like I have so many friends that will go through this journey, but cut it short either because they have other goals in life or other responsibilities like a wife, a girlfriend, financial problems. And I mean, the places I've been, the people I've met has totally been amazing. And, uh, there's nothing better really that, um, I'd rather be doing, even though, I mean, the money isn't, isn't the best, but Hey, the good, the bad, I take it all. And, uh, I mean, it's where I'm at now and, you know, I get to tell that story now. Yeah. So let's, I mean, let's jump right into it. Obviously your journey is, is less than a linear path. It's somewhat of a serpentine being that, that has many, many loops and twists and turns. Uh, you want to just start at the beginning, kind of the beginning of all of this, or, or where do you think you should jump off from here? I mean, there's no better place than the genesis of a whole story. So, um, sure. college, I mean, uh, yeah, University college. of Hawaii, right? Three yeah. years, drafted in 2012 um, by the Diamondbacks in the 37th round, which that draft actually was the first uh, first draft that they made it the um, like the slotted rounds. Right. And so, to me, I thought I got screwed because I was um, – what does that mean like, exactly? What does that mean? There's a slot around. So the like first ten rounds, they the each team has like a. I don't really know exact details, but what I know of it and understand of it is, you have an allotted amount of money per per slot. Sure. Um, so like there'll be guys, let's say their first rounder gets signed for nine mil, and right. their budget for those first 10, 10 rounds for those slots is. 15 mil. So now they got to figure out six mil to divvy up between your second round pick and your 10th round pick. So like you could put all your money into the first round and everyone else is kind of just the draft pick or, right, you know, right. so, but obviously, you know, teams and organizations want to treat it all, all fairly. But uh, I think because of it was the first, first year for that slot thing, um, it was a tough year for the draft and for guys that were expected to go higher. Like I definitely thought I was a third round to 10th round pick. And uh, unfortunately I had to wait till the last day <laughs> and the third to the last round to get a call and said, Hey man, we drafted you. And 
you know, and some tears were shed of sadness before everything. And then some tears were shed of happiness after that. And, uh, was, uh, fortunate enough to go and play for the Diamondbacks in their minor league system for about four years, four seasons, ended up winning a, uh, a championship my rookie year, which was probably the most cool. I mean, I played with guys like Jake Lamb, who's been around the big leagues for quite some time. And, uh, I mean, just throughout every spring, I've been able to play with guys like Goldschmidt and Didi Gregorius and AJ Pollock and um, Granke even. I mean, I, I, wow. got to, I got to witness this guy. We were waiting for umpires one spring, and – it was like they were like 20 minutes late and Grinky was starting and he ends up sitting Indian style on the mound, just like chilling, waiting, like wow. cross-legged Indian style. Like this is one of the weirdest guys I've ever got to meet and know. But I mean, the guy is a baller when it yeah. comes to baseball and he's an absolute genius. So, so I mean, what like that, what, what date was that? Like the, that general time period you're with the D-backs right away. Uh, 2012, I signed in June. And I played in their rookie season uh, till September. And so basically June 2, 2012 to March 31st of 2016 is my stint with them. And I was released on the last day of spring when all my bags were packed and loaded on the bus to go to Mobile oh, to kidding. go to Double A. And, <laughs> and so the first, the first hiccup in, <laughs> in my career was that. And I get to the field ready to have just an easy practice. And I literally walk in and one of the coaches grabs me and walks me to the office. I'm like, Oh, oh no. Fuck. And, uh, yeah, probably one of the saddest days of my life thinking, man, I'm going to go to double a finally. Um, I thought I earned it. You know, I hit a career with them 271, I think, you know, and in, in my four stints there, I won a gold glove. Um, and for minor leagues, winning a gold glove is only, is like probably more prestigious than winning it in in the big leagues because you're competing against every single minor league player, right. and only and there's only nine nine uh, spots, and I got one of them as a center fielder. So oh, that was a big ass award for me and something I'm still proud of to this day, since uh, every year I go into baseball priding myself on on my defense, and uh, so that's that's at home in in the trophy room. But, uh, yeah, man, I got into the office and they put a paper down. I signed it. I literally had nothing to say other than thank you. And I don't know why I said thank you because they're like, we're going to release you. And I said, thank you. Like, it's, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, just, I'm just like shocked out of my freaking mind. And yeah, right. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, that was rough. And then I go into my whole indie ball for seven years, just grinding away from St. Paul Saints in the American Association to yeah, so walk me through. I mean, you, you got to let's dumb, let's dumb it down for the average listener. I mean, there, there's so many leagues and so many different yeah. uh, even categories of of club baseball. The second you're not in the traditional, you know, single A, double A, triple A, like what 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 is that realm like? And, and walk me through that one. Well, as a affiliated guy, you kind of walk in into the clubhouse and into independent ball with like one a chip on on your shoulder, but two a sense of entitlement, and that's probably the worst way to go about it. Thinking like, well, I'm this big hot shot guy coming from affiliated ball, and you're going into indie ball where some guys never even played professional ball in their life, and right. Um, you kind of go in there with a big ego thinking, all right, I should get all the playing time. I should, you know, be able, you know, be able to put up numbers because it's going to be easy um, and get back to signing with another major league team. But that's not the case. I mean, this is probably a harder grind than even being just in a major league organization. I mean, the travel's harder. The hotels are worse. Um and you're playing like American associations, basically from a team from Canada all the way down, down to Texas. So you're playing a wide, wide range and it's all, all by bus. Whereas right. you play like in a single a California league, all the teams are in California. So your longest drive is maybe five hours. Um, yeah, but like indie ball, you're getting guys straight out of college to guys that maybe have even 
a couple years in the big leagues. So you're getting talent from a huge ass spectrum. And sure. I mean, it, it kind of was just a culture shock, especially me not doing as well as I expected in my first couple of years. Um, probably mainly because I put so much pressure on and thinking like, Oh, I'm better than everyone. And you know, I, I shouldn't be here. And so that kind of affected my mental game. Right. And uh, that's, I think that's what kept me in indie ball for so long. It's just my mental health. My mental game was not on par with how a big leaguer's mindset should be. And, you know, how a real pro does it in any kind of professional sport. Right. And I was going to, I was going to say, I mean, you're not exactly staying at the Ritz Carlton. No, I mean, like we're staying at uh, what a red door in or something. I mean, there's hotels that will have, (laughs) We'll have uh, stains on blood stains on on the sheets. I mean, bugs crawling. So, I mean, that's just that's just part of it, right? And that's why major leaguers get paid so much. I mean, major league puts major league baseball on this pedestal, and that's why there's this all these lawsuits of, well, why does major league guys get paid so much and minor league guys get treated like crap? It's because like the prestigiousness of major league baseball is just like so high like they glorify it so much but at the same time it's like you look back it's like well guys playing professional sports he shouldn't be making less less than your typical uh freaking fast food worker you know i mean if if you broke it down hourly we were getting paid like four bucks an hour you know like guys guys are getting paid my first year i was only getting paid like 1200 a month so after taxes i was getting 400 bucks like a paycheck i mean like you got to think like you got to survive on that yeah no way uh, so that's that's my next question is like what's life like just as a minor leaguer you know like just what you waking up and going to bed and everything in between that how is your mental state like how how do you keep it together and keep yourself motivated to play baseball when you're making four freaking bucks an hour uh you do it because it's a dream you do it because you've always that's like what your goal was was not only to play pro baseball and to get paid to play a sport but like to further that it's our dream and goal to play in the big leagues and that's everyone's goal i mean anyone that plays baseball is to be the next mike trout to be the next otani to be the next no Mar Garcia Para Ortiz. I mean, all these, all these guys, especially like Jeter, who's you know just a legend with the Yankees and in baseball. But I mean, like our main goal of playing baseball is because we want to make it to the big leagues, make a lot of money, and be able to support our family and support our future endeavors whenever our career decides to end. I mean. And that's usually, you know, the first goal. And then you look back, and I'm 33 now, and I look back, it's like, well, the first couple of years, I definitely, you know, played it to make the big leagues. And then the last three or four years, I've played it because it's a game and it's supposed to be fun. And so that's where I've kind of started to learn, like, the true mental aspect of the best way of playing the game for, for me. And that's just having fun rather than looking at results and looking at, well, I have to make the big leagues or else, you know, right. this whole career means nothing. Right. Was there ever a point in time when it, it, it just wasn't fun? Like it just, it, like the grass truly was greener on the other side of baseball doing something else. The, the dream was gone. Walk me through if there was any sort of point in your life that reflected well, it was that. For sure, it was for sure my first year with St. Paul Saints. I mean, I only hit 250. I mean, sure, like we made the playoffs, but mentally, I mean, it's it was fun, you know, playing the game. But in between all of that and practicing, it was just like going through the motions. Like you try to find ways ways to get better, but then you get stuck in this rut, and um, you know, you kind of lose you you lose the fun, you lose the excitement out of it, and um. <laughs> You know, after a couple years, like I won a championship in 2018 with the Sussex Miners. That was a fun year, but like you still got to think I'm only making maybe then now 600 bucks every two weeks. Right. Um, and so like playing the game, man, it's, it's, it's the most fun. 
in between all all of that it's it's really not fun because then i mean like it's part of the journey you know it's part of the process of like well you got to sacrifice all all of this in order for you to you know do your dream and play a game you know because i'm pretty sure anyone would love to trade places if they don't look at finances but play a sport as a career right um so how long was that that path? So we're talking indie ball, and you were in the same indie ball sixteen all the way to like COVID hit, and that's where I really found found the love of the game and the most fun. Like we in COVID year, I was able to get uh, in that Constellation Energy League that uh, Sugarland Skeeters was holding. So it's a four team league, mm-hmm. the slots, the Skeeters uh tigers and team team texas like roger clemens was managing the team team texas game or oh, team, wow. the team yeah. um and his son cody and casey were both on that team and i think cody's in the big leagues now right i mean i think i'm i'm pretty it sure it's cody familiar. yeah it sounds yeah familiar. so cody so i mean like i got to play with a bunch of guys that weren't in the big leagues and just needed a place to stay that was a time when minor leagues was looking for independent leagues to like have their guys go and play since they were, that was when like they were cutting teams. But my team, I mean, like we would have so much fun to where it was a show and go every game. And after every game, um, me and a bunch of teammates would just hang out. We'd go get high, have the munchies and just have a great freaking time. Like that was the time where we all would just let loose. We'd, literally gave zero fucks and went out and balled. And that's probably one of the best years I've ever had. Like I hit over 300, um, played tremendous defense. Our team, almost everyone hit 300. Like we were just, we were singing and dancing, like all of this in the locker room and the, in the field. I mean, that's when I truly found the love of the game and just having fun is letting loose and not having pressure of all the scouts and all this and all that. Like I honestly, finally, just didn't care what I produced on the field as long as what I, I could control, you know, was happening. And it was all about just having fun. And you think that, I mean, obviously reflecting a great period of mental blissness, but the, you think like kind of letting go and just having fun with the game, does that reflect better on field performance? Even though you're not thinking about it, does it actually produce better results, better stats? Um, if you look at my stats, then yes, that's a fact, I think, you know, I mean, from COVID to what I've been doing now for the last three, almost four, four years, uh, by me just playing loose, having fun, just really not caring about results. Mm -hmm. I've had better at bats. I've had better stats, um, better relationships with like teammates and coaches, um, so I do think just having fun and not worrying about the stats and putting pressure on yourself and having all these expectations to like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this in order to make it bigger and make more money. Like if you right, right. really just leave that at the door and leave the ego there too, um, one, you'll have fun Two, you'll, you'll play better. And I mean, that's, that's, that's my advice to any, any kid growing up too, you know, is like. Getting a base hit or striking out, it doesn't matter because the baseball is all about second chances. You're going to get four bats minimum sometimes, you know, in a game. So you could go 0 for 3 the whole game and you end up hitting the walk-off hit. No one cares about the three the three times you got out, wow. you know, because you're the hero. And that's what I finally was learning about the game. It's like it doesn't matter what happened then, but what can you do now to make an impact of the game? And that's what made it so much more fun. It's just forgetting and leaving things in the past, but at the same time learning from it so that you can correct it and make it better come the next opportunity. Boy, that's a hell of a gem you just laid out there. I'm going to grab that for sure. And we're going to apply that to a message and a question later. But right now I want to connect uh, another dot here. So talking COVID year 2020, you're playing the best ball of recent years, having the most fun. How does this then lead to the Savannah Banana? So, like, where do we go from here? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like, you, I mean, I look back and just think, like, man, if I don't do this or I don't do that, I don't end up with the bananas. Or, you know, if this happens, you know, I'm, there's there's so many other avenues I could have gone and not have the bananas as part of my life. Um, but for everything that's happened, I've been so grateful for it. And so, like, in 2021... Um, I played on four teams and my last team of that year was the Lexington legends. And I didn't play that much. It was kind of a frustrating year, you know, just bouncing around, literally driving to every, to four, four different cities across the country just to play on a team. And I finally found my last two, two months of that season with the legends and, you know, um, I did well for the times, times that I did play. Um, but other, other than that, I was just, you know, like my, my role was just a clubhouse guy and, mm-hmm. you know, try to keep the, ener- excuse me, the, um, energy up and we ended up winning the damn championship. So it's like, I got three rings now, um, in, in, uh, professional baseball. Um, but after that season, I was struggling to find any team that would sign me again. Um, right. So I reached out to a teammate that I played with during that Legends uh, season. And he said, oh, I'm going to play with the Savannah Bananas. And I'm, and I'm thinking, like, well, like, I've heard of them. My ex-girlfriend said, why don't you play with them? Like, this was back in, like, 2018 and 19. I just keep telling her, like, no, like, they're literally a college team. I cannot play for them. You know, so um, I asked him, like, what's the deal? Like, aren't they just a college team? And he's like, well, yeah, but, like, they're trying out this this new thing called called Banana Ball, and there's tryouts. And so he hooked me up with one of the front office people, and I was able to fill out a tryout form. And at the time, I was in Hawaii mm-hmm. enjoying my offseason on a beach, you know, just enjoying 75-degree weather. Right. Um, but my dad is up my ass about, you know, trying to find teams teams for next year. And well, I'm thinking like indie ball doesn't usually start till February, March, April, maybe like May. So I'm like, all right, well, I got March and April to like, you know, find a place to practice, play, get some scrimmages in. And that banana tour, which was a seven city tour, was during March and April. And tryouts were held, I want to say, in February. So from the time that uh, my tryout form got accepted to the time the tryouts was, was probably about a month. So from January and then I want to say two days, three days before, no, maybe a week before the tryouts. I flew from Hawaii to Phoenix where my, I usually leave my car for the off season. Right. Packed Why? up my stuff. Yeah, what does that mean? Is that like sort of like the... The general practice is just dumping your shit all over the country just randomly. I got shit all over this freaking country. Like any city I, that I've played in, I've either got a storage unit there or I left something at a friend's house. I mean, so I got a storage unit in Phoenix. Uh, my car is registered out in Arizona. So like if I do cross country trips, like almost every off season, I would drive back to Phoenix because that's where my career started. That's. You know, that's where I was playing with the Diamondbacks. And at the time, I was able to live with a best friend of mine from middle school days back at home. Yeah. yeah. And he had a house there. He went to ASU. So we'd party and stuff during during the off season. But that's just a, like my second home at the time. And um, when COVID hit, that's when I put everything in a storage unit and I went back home. You know, so I got stuff there. I got now stuff in Savannah where I ended up moving to. Um, got stuff in Hawaii. Got I got a trailer out in uh, Colorado that a family family members holding on to. Um, <laughs> I just got shit everywhere. All right? Like I've been a yeah. nomad for almost thirteen years now. Yeah. yeah. So it is what it is. I mean, it's it's part of the journey. It's a little frustrating knowing I got all these things just fucked up everywhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but the best part is I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. So right. 
a week before the trial, I fly to Phoenix, grab my car, cross-country road trip all the way to Savannah. Mm-hmm. I sleep in my car the night before the tryout because oh. I'm like, I don't have money. I'm not staying in a hotel. I've slept in my car before. It's actually nice and cool here since it's towards the end of winter. Uh, sleep in my car. Show up to the um, tryout. And, you know, it's all about expressing yourself and standing out. So I ended up wearing this uh, flamingo romper that I actually got from one of my best friend's brother who's actually gay. And we were having fun at his house and going through his stuff. And we were kind of doing like a whole drag show thing and having fun. And so he's like, dude, you can keep the romper. And I was like, bro, that is so awesome. So that was like a year ago. And I'm like, well, I can either go as a hula hula dancer kind of thing and stick with the like Hawaii theme. And at the time, uh, Amazon wasn't going to deliver on time. So I was like, well, I got the romper. So let's put the romper on. But walk into the tryout, I see everyone dressed up. And I'm this scared little shy piece of shit. And I put a jacket on and cover everything up. I'm like, no, I'm scared. Like, I'm still an introvert, you know, at, at heart. And that's when we all you know, go up in the stands and the first guy to talk is Eric Burns. And I'm like, I thought walking in, I thought that guy was a player. Like he looked around 25 with his curls coming out of his hat with these yep. big Oakley glasses. And once he started talking and he's like, I'm, I'm your manager. And he's typing us up. Um, that's kind of when I felt better and just started to go in, in, into the trial and just be like, fuck it, man. Just, just go have fun. Yeah. Lay it out. Yeah. Um, whatever yeah. happens, happens. You and know, Bernsey's that he's got that charisma. You know, the guy. You, you oh, Bernsey is a hype man him. all day, every day. I mean, he's on yeah. his footboard every morning with his coffee yeah. cup and his thumbs up. So he's a he's a shining light in this world that I think we all all need at times. Um, oh my God, for sure. But I had a killer tryout. Uh, we ended up. Uh, getting picked, I think that that day they they picked forty guys out of a hundred, and um, I had to drive up to my sister's place in North Carolina while like they had like two two days of like mediating and figuring out which twenty is going on the bananas, right. which twenty is going on the party animals. Right. Um, so I found out I'm on the party animals, so I drive back two days later. Um, Seven city tour starts, and I mean and that's all she wrote basically and it's um i was with them that seven city tour i was with them for most of the 2023 tour which was 33 cities um but i mean thanks to savannah bananas jesse cole emily cole the the two owners um i was able to continue my love for the game and fun in the game and most fun uh since that 2020 COVID season yeah, and, you know, just being part of something so special, so outrageous uh, that no one else is doing. Um, I'm totally grateful for And like, I still get excited about it, you know, yeah. thinking like, man, I would love to be on that field in front of soda crowds every single day. You know, I'm, I mean, you showed me your highlights and you showed me just, I mean, I've, I've seen, games i've seen i've seen stuff with you live i've seen you know not without knowing you but i mean the some of the events and tricks and bits are in the game it's obviously it's a great show it's a really impressive and awesome and just super creative piece of entertainment but the amount of pure athletic skill and coordination that is required for these stunts and these moments i mean i'm looking at you in the outfield playing friggin' ping pong and then all of a sudden you got to track down a fly ball run clear across right field left field and just make an outstanding grab not to mention every it just seems you're never still you're always moving whether there's like an added dance or a jump or just some sort of pizzazz every single like the the math coordination and athleticism and pure pure skill that is at play at display with you, with, with everybody, it's, it, it, it's honestly incredible, really. Yeah. Um, looking back at it all, I truly believe I was 
I was and am still the best showman of that show. Like really? no one did what I did. No one took risk like I did. No one, I think, had the most fun than I did. I maybe didn't do a bunch of the scripted stuff, you know, other than when we had to do like a like a team uh, celebration. Yeah. But I was the most random, the most impromptu, the most interactive guy that could ever be on that field, play baseball with such a high skill level and skill set, but at the same time entertain and interact with, with fans. And I don't, I mean, I still have yet to see anyone prove me otherwise. And um, that was, I mean, just being part of that show was, it was my home was, it was, it was my freedom. It was my freedom in yeah. baseball. It was my freedom to express myself, to stand out for once. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I mean, I did everything from a random headstand on running the bases to taking out beach chairs out in the outfield and just hanging out and taking my shirt off. I mean, right. I did the most random, crazy, fun things that you could do in entertainment on a baseball field. So, listeners, the, the interesting about the Bananas organization, there's two teams. It's the Savannah Bananas and they play the party animals. It's very much like the home Globetrotters play – the Washington generals. It's right. like these, these games that happen, uh, the two teams play each other at the same time, but, but you guys are almost characters in a way, right? You guys have like these personas on the field you mentioned there's scripts and there's like these like planned activities, but then you're doing a lot of stuff off script, you know, like just via how the ball squirting off the bat, or if you have an extra moment to do a flip or just some crazy acrobatic move. That that's where I think you're you're right in the sense that there is so much un I guess you see uncontrollable uh, talent that you had and just you were a perfect storm with that organization with that with that general uh, idea mm-hmm. of creative baseball. Yeah, I mean, so our owner Jesse always says whenever you step out of the dugout or not even that whenever you step out of the locker room you're on stage. So, yeah, we were all looked at as characters and we all tried to come up with this character that that we wanted to like display. Like I was I eventually went from the real smoothie king um, self-proclaimed to Jesse gave me the idea. Well, why not? Since you're Hawaiian and you're always about flash and you're coming in with all these crazy outfits like to the game and, you know, just in style, like why not be the style in Hawaiian? So I embraced that right. totally. And I was I like always that. finding a way to up my style, whether it be, you know, riding the bus and just walking five minutes to the locker room, you know, like anytime I could stand out, I was trying to be a styling guy and wear glasses and hats. And like my right. character on the field was wearing a fedora and aviators with so cool. the tightest fit poly baby gap clothes I could put on. You what know, like everything like? was a tight fit with three, three eye black stripes. I mean, that was my, my character and everything was flash. Everything was, it was random. It was flash and it was style. All that mean, incorporated with athletic ability. So you talk about, you know, the, the, I guess the moment that you even walk out of the locker room, it's, it's, we're live, it's recording. Yeah. What was it like working for Jesse Cole? I mean, the guy is. The guy, the guy's the guy a is, genius. Guy's a genius. He's like I mean, the, the marketing artist. genius, putting together a show that no one else is doing, uh, incorporating baseball and creating your own rules. I mean, no one else is doing it. The wait list for this next season is over two million. Um, that's unheard of. Their TikTok when I first joined in 2021 was maybe a million, and within mm-hmm. this past tour, I think they're over 10 mil. Wow. So that growth uh, is absolutely stupid. Like the marketing team, the entertainment team, from merchandise team. I mean, everyone is on the same level as Jesse, trying to be bigger, better, faster. And but at the same time, he's growing it. He's been growing it since 2016, since he started. So, um, but at the rate that it's grown in two years is incredible. Um, but like working for him, Hey, 
he he knows what he wants he you know and and he almost almost demands uh perfection even though the game and the show is never going to be perfect but um you just watch him on the field he uh something doesn't go right he's pacing back and forth you know he's biting his nails he's got this like this is his his look when like something's not right or or he's thinking or you know i mean like it's it's actually fun to watch as a player who's i'm trying to have fun then you see jesse and he's with his staff trying to get this whole like he's trying to be the director at the same time he has an entertainment director you know directing right. it so right yeah. he's definitely you know he tries to control things but in in the end at the end of the game or end of the show the show was perfect Mm -hmm. Like even because the fans will never know what we did right or what we did wrong or what was supposed to happen or what didn't happen. Like fans will never know. Um, But working with him and his, his like dream of what he wants banana land to be and banana ball. I mean, he gets everything from Disney, you know, that's his main like role model. And um, yeah, so it's it's actually would, one of the most funnest places to work. I you mean, would say they, he's like the modern Walt Disney, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he is the yellow man in tux. You can never not find him when he's right around Banana Land. So um, obviously, the elephant in the room here is, and main one of the main reasons why you're out here today speaking about this is because you are no longer with. The Savannah Bananas, the party animals, you are no longer with that organization. Is there, uh, I'm, I'm, what would you like to talk about as far as that chapter of this, of this ongoing story of your life? Yeah. Uh, shoot, man. That chapter, well, my Savannah Banana party animal chapter ended abruptly. Um, unexpected. You know, I, I, <laughs> I bought this home in January thinking, oh, man, I'm going to have some of the most best couple years of my life playing with the bananas. And so I invested in myself and invested in the bananas, you know, thinking like, well, I know I'm the best at this and I'm going to be sticking around for a while, but come to find out, uh, July 10th ended up, uh, actually that, that morning was amazing. We were supposed to, we were loading the buses for an eight o'clock departure to, North Carolina, I woke up feeling great, maybe a little flustered because I hate uh, packing bags and always thinking like, man, what did I forget? Um, But uh, so I go to the field to put my equipment on the bus that's headed headed to North Carolina. I wasn't going to ride the bus that morning. Um, And I get back to the house because me and two other guys on the party islands were going to carpool. Um, and I end up just as we were about to leave, like this is seven fifty three, and you know, we planned on leaving at eight. I look at my phone and I got a text saying, uh, can you come to the office? We got to talk about a ticket situation. Right. And I'm like, Oh fuck, here we go. Because rolling up to that point, I've always been the guy that expressed myself, was outspoken, always trying to get details and ask questions why and how and you know because I was the older guy probably the the guy with the most experience between party animals and the bananas as far as professional baseball um, our coach has never played uh, professional baseball so I mean like I could say I'm the one with the most experience in-house and out of house as far as professional baseball goes and how it's run so I'm always looking out for the guys you know because I've been through it all Right. Um, but anyways, um, I get into the office. I got a coach. I got director of ops and two other guys. One of them is standing over me like he's a security guard. And so, like, I don't know what they thought was going to happen, but they slammed the they slam a thread down of a private chat between me and the rest of the party animal teammates. Right. And I look at this printed out thread I'm like oh shit and the thread (laughs) and the thread is uh, me just saying some really not great things 
uh, about the banana organization because of a thing that they, so a couple of days before this, they mentioned to the team and to everyone that they're changing the ticket situation. Right. And the original ticket situation was there's a piece of paper with two rosters in, in the locker room on game day. You sign up, you sign the names on the paper. Every player gets two and you know, and that's easy to trade tickets, ask a player for tickets. You know, it's easy to write it in. The way they changed it was all through computer and there's a deadline. And if you don't sign up, you know, it's, they made it a little harder for players to get extra tickets or you had to trust another teammate to sign up the tickets for you. Right. So we're all venting in this, in this chat. Remember now it's only, it's only party animals. Only about 15 to 18 of us. And right, right. well, we're all venting. We're all talking crap. Like, how are we supposed to get tickets? All this, blah, blah, blah. And I go in there heated as normal because I'm like, man, like, that's not how it's supposed to be. You know, like, they're making it harder for the players. And I'm always about having it easy for the players because the show is about the players. Right. We're the ones putting out the content. We're the ones doing the stunts. We're the ones, we're the show, right? And so I I just want to help help the guys and, you know, and be that voice. Because, I mean, no one would really speak up other than me. Um, but I went in that chat literally in this living room. I remember doing it. I wrote in some not so good things uh, that you definitely shouldn't be saying at all. Right. Um, and you definitely get canceled for in 2023. But in my eyes, it's 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 a total joke and just a frustration and putting it in a chat where I can trust the boys, right. you know, like locker room talk and team team chats. That's like sacred. Whatever happens in that locker room or team chat should never, ever get out like that's just a bro code of baseball. A bro code of any kind of locker room. Right. Um, but any, so I'll get back to that. Um, yep. But they slammed that paper down. They slammed down the contract and said, I violated the contract and we're releasing you. And on top of that, they're banning me from Grayson Stadium for two years, which in my mind is outrageous. Like, you know, so I never even got an explanation. That was the, that was all I got. I sat there, just don't know what to do. Like my life literally changed within 30 minutes of me about to leave for North Carolina to go play in uh, Durham and Kannapolis um, to my whole life has altered uh, in, in, in a second. Packed up my stuff in the locker room um, and I was out and that's the last time. I stepped foot in that stadium. Um, but it was basically um, that thread. Yeah, there's a lot lots to unpack here. And let's, let's yeah, just kind of so, go one by so one. Like, the only way I got caught was because one of my teammates ended up snitching on me. They threw me under the bus of, of that thread. They showed somebody, whoever it was, um, somebody in the front office, obviously. Um, and, you know, like what I said, I didn't mean to offend anyone. Like, I'm still very, very regretful and I'm very sorry for, like, what I said. And I take full, like, responsibility for for my actions. I mean, like, I'm the one that fucked up, you know. Um, but in the end, like, I, I look back and it was, it was, a, it was a code of conduct uh, that's an unwritten rule in baseball and professional sports of you have a teammate that, you thought you could trust and he throws you under the bus. I mean, the thread literally showed a hand holding the phone and there's another phone taking a picture of it. Wow. So, wow. you know, like, and that chat is only party animals. Like no one else was on it. So obviously it was a party animal phone showing somebody else that didn't have that thread. Obviously you're and right there. Life changed. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, you're remorseful about what you said, and there's there's definitely some regret. But I guess my question is, you know, it, is it so far out of context? Is it so different than 
what is said in an everyday locker room scenario. Like, it, I guess to put it bluntly, if if there was Man. a bug, if there was a microphone or a bug in your locker room, would it be just you that gets caught, or 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 is that just vernacular, everyday vernacular in the locker room? Let's just say let's let's say we put a bug in every single professional sports locker room, even college locker rooms. Sure. No one would have a job. Everyone would be canceled. Right. We say some of the dumbest, stupidest, meanest things you could ever say inside a locker room because we trust that space. I mean, it's guy talk. It could be girl talk. You know, if it's a girl's locker room, I mean, anything goes because we know it's a trusting space and nothing is supposed to be leaked out. Like what happens in there stays there just like Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Right. Unless, uh, you know, you get a STD, then that goes with you somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I think that's a really powerful thing you just said because obviously, you know, when you talk about when you talk about locker rooms and when you talk about just people in general, like no, I would say like the mass of America, it's not when people say hurtful stuff in in confidence to each other, there's a I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it's not with the intent of fully no, going after another person. Yeah, it, like like it's, it's not even a direction of hurting someone. It's just a frustration put into words, and, you know, that's all joke. it is. Maybe it's a joke. You maybe know, it could be a joke. Like, like my sense of humor is talking mad shit, and then I'm over it. You know, like it's not a yeah. big deal to me. There's a, um, there's a great deal of comedy that deals primarily with – Shock value, the art of shock value, and the art of saying something that you probably shouldn't say. Granted, yeah. you know, there's there's well, definitely con- there's context issues, and the, there's like well, life lesson is you can yeah. talk all the shit you want, but what I've learned is don't put it in writing, and that's what I did. I put it in writing, and you know, my fault. You know, I take responsibility for all that shit. But uh, if you want to talk shit, do it verbally. You know, because then it's he said, she said, everyone just pointing fingers and there's no evidence. But yeah. going back to like locker room talk, like I could have said that what I said out loud and it just it would just been blown over. Like, right. well, we can't do anything about that. So, right. Not that anybody would either. It sounds like that this is primarily no. a, it, it maybe it was a cord. Is there any reason to believe this was a coordinated attack? Like was someone trying to get you off the team? I mean, maybe, I mean, I, I know the bananas as having an open door policy. Um, you know, like you come and talk to them if there's anything going on or like you got issues or there's friction points. Um, cause we would always have a, a form to fill out like monthly or every two months about, Hey, do you see any friction points we can work out? But I was, I almost see, I was. I was, uh, I don't know how to say it, like, I was the one they were they were gunning for because I was so outspoken and I expressed myself. And sure, I maybe caused caused some friction, but hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a baseball player and I want what's right for the guys and I want what's, what's right for the show and what makes sense. Right, um, right. So, I mean, the bananas do have the open door policy, but it's like we would ask questions and then they would shut us down or they would ignore it or they would, you know, there would be some stuff where it's like, well, where's the help? Like we're asking these questions and we're not getting help with, you know, like, like, like one instance was there was a, we were doing a showdown and we agreed the day before, even that day of the game. It's supposed to be a handoff. If you walk a guy, it's supposed to be a handoff from the catcher to the pitcher, right? So we agreed. In that time of the game with the showdown, banana player walks a batter, and he gets to run all the way around, and the catcher ends up tossing it a good 15 feet to the pitcher, so making the guy out at home. So you would have, the pitcher would have to chase the runner around the bases, and once he hits third, he can throw it home. But the deal was it's a handoff instead of a toss. So that's things where, like, we we lose trust in that whole system because it's like, well, the party animals saw that as an illegal toss, whereas the bananas are celebrating and trying to justify, oh, no, it was like a small toss. And you watch the replay. It's literally a 15, 20-foot toss. So it's like it's always uh, – there's, there's always – I mean, obviously, you know, we're – 
where where they're competing and both teams want to win. But right. I mean, right. it's as small as that. Where it's like, well, you said one thing and now you're doing another, and you're trying to justify it, yeah. and that kind of just goes in the whole like organization. I even worked in the merchandise warehouse, and it's like you got other departments trying to direct how the merchandise department is trying to do things and organize and then it just creates a whole conflict and you know it's like well who's who's really right and who's you know who's got the power to it's yeah it kind of just becomes all a clusterfuck and oh for sure um yeah so like that's that's where a bunch of frustration built up and yeah that's probably where it started from the beginning of the season to that point of me getting like released i you know to my own fault i you know kept on building a snowball just kept asking questions and talking and then come to find out, you know, I get cut and maybe like only probably a couple weeks ago is when I realized like you ever, have you ever, or you, you probably did, but you ever hear that saying, I don't know if it's a saying, but like if a coach doesn't talk to you, that means he doesn't care. But if he's yelling at you and, telling you to, you to do things right like that coach or parent actually cares for sure. for sure yeah so that's what i started to realize looking back is like no one talked to me no one was telling me to be quiet no one was asking me like hey man how you doing you know like no one was getting in in my face about these things that i would bring up and kind of stir the pot with right and i was like okay so i was sought out to find a way to get get me out of there you know, that's, that's yeah. how I, I saw it yeah. because no one was, no one was talking to me. Like the only talk I got was our mid season coaches and player talk. And they're like, you're, you're doing everything great. The only thing that you're not doing great is keeping your mouth shut is basically, that's not what they said, but that's what they were intending is, you know, you just got to keep your mouth shut and go about your business. Yeah, I, I think just as far as, you know, I, I think it's really important, you know, just shedding light into the whole locker room talk and that that general like ecosystem. There there are definitely words and phrases that unconditionally you can never say. Never say in locker room in life. And, right. You know, like there and you know, there, it needs no it needs no uh, reminder, you know, there's a couple words phrases just like, yeah, read the room or not read the room, you can never say those things. Shout a shadow. Right. And then there's, and then you have your ballpark of things where it's like, okay, it's all context based. It's all like, yeah, yeah if, like, you, if you say, yeah, if you say something and someone, you know, hears it in context with what someone just said five minutes ago, it's funny. It's part of this joke and yeah. it disintegrates into the ether of things you said in person yeah. that you don't collect. In your case, documentation <laughs> fucked you over. Yeah, I, I exactly. Documentation yeah. and a and a player that was out to get me honestly you know yeah. i mean i'm not trying to play the victim here because i take full responsibility again of everything that i did to lead up to that point to me getting caught to me saying the stupid shit that i said yeah um you know and i wish that never happened because i know i was the best on that field in entertainment hey but um uh, in the end you know it was cool to see the party animals win you know they won the tour so cool. that was a cool part um they put on the best show ever you know, and I'm so happy that I got to be a part of it. And, you know, it's such a platform that I enjoyed sharing who I am and what I could bring bring to the table as far as Savannah Banana, Banana Ball show, the greatest, the greatest show in sports. You know, I, I think this is I think this is a really good opportunity for you to kind of, you know, the next phase of your life. There's so many question marks. There's so many there's so many doors that could be open as, you know, this podcast itself, you're, you're basically creating a forum for conversations that are both comfortable and uncomfortable among young yeah. men and young athletes, people that are struggling I mean, in, in different areas. Likewise, whether they're, I mean, I, I, I think cancel culture has, has done some cancel things. Culture that, can suck it. That's it cancel, cancel culture has proven that while it is important to keep ourselves accountable and obviously yeah. to, you know, maintain a good, you know, mindset and, you know, public appearance and watching what you say, I, I don't appreciate the the random digging and the, the various, you know, stringing of documentation without context. And, you know, because like, think about Bill Burr's got this saying, Bill Burr, he, this is his I love Bill Burr. 
Oh, he's the best. I'm not trying to trademark this. I'm, I'm just trying to just rehash it. That's it. real comedy because he speaks yeah. facts in a comedy way. Like, right. Literally. He's saying the shit that, you, you know, you obviously, you know, maybe. It's saying like, the shit that people think but won't say, but they know it's true. Right. The, the hesitation and it's like hesitant to say in front of a mic. He just says, I don't give a fucking says it. He's got yeah. this bit where if you were to go before a judge and basically uh, recite uh, a written documentation of what was said between you and your sexual partner. Like, for example, let's say the woman <laughs> is. Yeah, the woman's like she's like harder and she's like, no, stop it. No, he's like the problem with if you take something. I that remember is written, that bit. You know what I'm talking about? And she's basically saying, no, stop it. Don't do it. But she's like, no, do it like harder. Yeah. Right. A judge is going to read that like, sir, you clearly violated her, her sense of uh, consent and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, that's not even close. You had to be there. It's not how the context was. Like you had to be there to know, like she was saying almost slow down, but give it to me. You know, exactly. it's, It's, it, it. <laughs> it's That's life is good, all if you haven't watched Bill Burr, people go and watch that like life go is, watch that go watch dave Chappelle. yeah go watch all these guys that the world society is trying to cancel because they're speaking facts life is all about context and that's that's yes. primarily their main ethos and i think that's a great ethos for you is like you know you could like the listeners can obviously go on twitter and then go on the internet and see what you said and, and kind of make their own yeah. assessment the way i see it and the way you mentioned earlier is that baseball like life is about second chances and you had three strikeouts and out and error, whatever it is you had, it's about the next at bat, whether it's Mm -hmm. physically metaphysically. And I I'm really, I I, I'm, I'm really proud of your growth and you know, like, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to face the music of a career or a situation. I mean, it still sucks, but you're doing it, but you're, you're doing it for the good of others right now. Like this podcast is hopefully going to generate some good. I mean, I wouldn't have started this podcast if I don't get fired. I'll tell you that much. Cause I'd be like, okay, it's almost season time. I just got signed again. You know, I'm ready to go on the on the third tour. Right. Um, You know, and then like, I was in a rut for two months, just traveling and trying to escape and forget about party animals and like Savannah bananas. But then I meet, a freaking amazing guy, Michael Lynn, and we go and travel this country, city to city, party mm-hmm. it up, and we end up going to this emotional intelligence program where it literally changed my life and how I look at things and how I need to stop victimizing myself and how I need to be a more loving, compassionate, and grateful man. And, um, you know, the journey of my life and what has happened to me you know, I'm realizing like everything does happen for a reason and, you know, there's only bigger and better things to come. Like, yes, I would freaking love to be on the party animal still and still kicking ass, still sh- putting on a freaking show. I have so many random stupid ideas to, you know, that I'd want to do still. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the, the growth, the last six months that I've had, um, has absolutely changed my life. I mean, I wouldn't have met you. Um, I mean, shoot, there's so many people I wouldn't have met, so many things I wouldn't have done, so many new goals that I have now that I could focus on. Right. You know, like next year, I might be playing in Europe, you know, and that's what I've always always wanted to do. I've always wanted to play in Europe. So I'm going to, you know, I'm still going to play baseball, but at the same time, these six months, the next four months until – Hopefully I go play in Europe, you know, I'm able to focus on new goals and really look inward and see what kind of person I want to be and what I really want in life. And that's to attract good people, have good energy, because what you you think what you do attracts attracts everything else. So if I think positive, surround myself with great people, high energy, that's what's going to come back to me, you know, so, you know, I'm looking so at I'm this. so grateful for this all the shit that's happened because without failures there's no success wow yeah and i I just want to just put a cherry on top it looks like the chat feed is already blown up here i want i'm not even looking at it i can read it to you it's a nice comment someone left it says thank you for your story and for your honesty respect that i mean at the the end of the day that's that's what you're after you're you're after 
just the cleanest, uh, most organic version of yourself. And it looks like it's been well received. I'm really excited for you to take this, this podcast journey. I'm, I'm happy you brought me on today as sort of like your, your guide through yourself. I mean, it's not really an interview. It's kind of like a, no, this is just bro chat telling stories, bro. Right. Exactly. I mean, I mean, if it's in your schedule, then you might have to be my co-host for the rest of my life, especially if this blows up. <laughs> oh man, it would be uh, yeah, it'd be fun to see that happen. It's uh, it, it's been it's been a real pleasure, um, Breland, and I'm and I'm, I'm again I'm happy that you're you're taking your voice and your form to No Filter Network. We're listener listener. We're a place uh, we accept mm-hmm. any and all people with the, with a good story. Um, and that's and right. You, you know, Anyone is welcome. You know, we, we are very pro uh, second chances here. You know, uh, that's kind of life. And that's sort of the sort of the ethos of, of, of why uh, Breland has come forward with his story. Because when one door closes and perhaps slams shut, another oh, one. That thing's, that thing's locked right now. There's, there's but definitely like you said, like up. you were about to say, there's many other doors that are going to open and have opened. Right, right. Um, All right, man. All but right. Uh, thank you to... Freaking Henry, dude. Thank you so uh, much. Thank you to No Filter. Um, this is only one. Many more to come, right? So Yeah, so what is what does the future look like for this? And we what is next week's or next episode's edition feel well, like to you? I wanna make it one a week. So if I can um I will find somebody. You know, I'm gonna put that out there into the universe. I need to find somebody to uh get next Thursday show on and then we can talk about them and less about me. And we can hear more stories. <laughs> we can hear more stories and more things that people can like relate to, you know, whether it be baseball, Savannah Bananas, mental, physical health, EQ. Right. I mean, whatever, you know. Like I want people to be free, to find freedom and expression in in this society and world that's trying to control us. So I want people to have fun and live a live a great life, live their dream. Good stuff, man. But any closing words from episode one of Peeling the Banana? Nope. But Smoothie King out. You can find me on IG, the real underscore Smoothie King. So follow up, guys. There's going to be more. Thank you again, Henry. You were amazing, dude. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. But we'll see everybody. Peace out. Aloha.